You're listening to the Central Station Podcast, where we bring you true stories of what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. So, pull up a stump, pop the billy on, or crack a cold one, as we talk to the men and women who call some of the most remote parts of Australia home. Chances are, a few weeks ago, you saw a parody video on Facebook called Breeding, set to the song Breathing by pop princess Ariana Grande. If you haven't, press pause, head over to our Facebook page, go to the video section and find it, because it is hilarious. The song, sung from a cow's point of view, makes mention of early weaning, segregation, supplementation, body condition score, pregnancy testing, cycling and a niche dress. In today's episode, I'm going to be talking about why we made the video and what it means. My name is Steph Coombs and I'm your host. This episode is sponsored by the Landmark Broom Fitzroy Crossing Invitation Boss Indicus Bull Sale. Come down to the Fitzroy Crossing Rodeo Grounds at 10am on Friday, August 23rd to see 174 specially selected bulls. Find the sale program on the Central Station website. Now, before we get into this, I just want to give a heads up that I am not an expert when it comes to cattle reproduction, but the following information has come from industry publications and I have had it um, peer-reviewed and checked out by people who are experts, so it should be fairly accurate. Um, But if you do have any questions, make sure you get in touch with your local vet or extension officer. And the other thing um, I want to chat about quickly first is As you will find if you continue listening to this episode, I have a pretty creative way of explaining things sometimes. Um, That came from the fact that I'm not from an agricultural background. So many moons ago when I first got into ag, I would want to talk about things I'd learned or all these things I was learning about with my friends and family who weren't from agriculture at all. And I I would just be really creative with the way I would explain it to try and – not make it under, like make it understandable, but also just make it fun to learn about and kind of put it in their terms. Um, so yeah, I definitely took hold of the creative license with this um, episode, and I hope you enjoy it. Reproduction is probably the single most important factor affecting the economics and profitability of beef cattle breeding operations in Northern Australia. For bulls. Reproduction is about the capacity and ability to sire a large number of viable offspring each mating year. For cows, reproduction is all about the capacity to conceive and rear a calf to weaning each year following puberty. Yep, cows have to deal with puberty too. The cow that produces a live, normal calf within 365-day calving intervals and rears that calf to weaning is superior to the cow that has longer intercalving intervals or fails to wean her calf. Intercalving what? Okay, let's back up a minute and touch base on the bovine reproduction cycle 101. The bovine reproduction cycle 101. The reproductive events in female cattle are as follows. There's the expression of estrus, which is when the cow comes on heat, in the presence of a fertile male. Then there's ovulation and fertilization of the ovum, which is the egg. Implantation, growth and survival of the embryo and fetus. Maintenance of pregnancy. Birth and survival of a viable calf. Adequate lactation for calf survival and good calf growth through to weaning. And 
an early return to reproductive activity after calving to achieve the next pregnancy, aka rinse and repeat. Now, those steps I got from the MLA booklet, um, Managing the Breeder Herd. So you can find that diagram in there and it's also online. The aim is to get one calf per cow each year. Why? Well, there's 365 days in a year and the average gestation period for cattle is 280 days. Now, if you have 365 days minus 280 days, which is how long the pregnancy is, that gives you 85 days to get that cow back in calf. 85 days to get back in calf, too easy. Except it's actually quite difficult. Female cattle cycle approximately every 21 days. So 85 days to get back in calf divided by a 21-day cycle equals 4.04 chances, so about four cycles to get that cow back and calf, if she were to have a calf each year. Geez, if third time is a charm, surely four chances will have us laughing, right? Nope. The calving to first heat interval and postpartum anaesthetics, the rain on your parade. Cows don't start cycling as soon as they've given birth. The period of time between a cow giving birth and when she first cycles again aka when she's first able to get pregnant again, is called the calving to first heat interval. Now, the reproductive tract and ovaries of a cow should return to normal and reproductive cycles should recommence about 35 to 40 days post-calving. Now, you couldn't see me using the air quotes then, but I'm sure you picked up on it when I said should. That's because in many northern herds, this period is prolonged and some cows don't recommence cyclic activity for up to seven months after calving. In some breeds, it is even longer. Sister is taking a holiday. And honestly, if it was me and I just had a baby, I'd probably want a bit of a break between them too. But in a cattle production system, that's not what we're aiming for. On average, it takes a minimum of 55 days for a cow to return to cycling after calving. The condition is known as postpartum anaesthetics or ovarian inactivity, and it is a major factor influencing the level of fertility in many northern herds. So let's revisit the maths. If you've got 85 days to get back in calf, minus 55 days calving to first heat interval, that actually just leaves you with about 30 days to get back in calf. And so the 30 days to get back in calf divided by a 21-day cycle gives you 1.3 cycles or 1.3 chances to get back in calf if you want to have a calf each year. It's not a very big window, is it? Controlled mating. The one time it's socially acceptable to be a control freak. In an ideal world, cows would be control mated. That means they'd only be allowed to socialise with the bulls for a set period of time, say 8 to 12 weeks, And then after that, it would be like being sent to an all-girls boarding school, not a boy in sight. As a result, all the cows would have their calves in the same 8 to 12 week time period. Why do we want all the calves to be born around the same time? Up north, the available nutrition from pastures varies depending on the time of year. The quality is highest over the wet season when the pasture is actively growing, and then it rapidly declines over the dry season as the plants become dormant. The aim of the game is to match the time of calving to when the available nutrition is at its highest. The energy required by cow to maintain the lifestyle to which she is accustomed, aka being alive with normal bodily functions, is called maintenance energy. 
Her energy requirements increase throughout her pregnancy as she grows her calf and begins to produce milk, with the peak energy requirements being around the time of calving. Once the cow has given birth to the calf, she needs even more energy to maintain her lifestyle, aka normal bodily functions, produce milk so she can grow her calf, and recommence reproductive activities, like a lot more energy. So, the aim is to match the cow's peak energy demands with when the maximum nutrition is available. But remember how I said just a moment ago, in an ideal world? Well, not many people up north use controlled mating, and that's because of a number of different barriers. Here's a few examples. Some people don't have the infrastructure to separate their cows and bulls. Well, just build a fence, I hear you say. Yeah, so fencing is kind of crazy expensive, and when you manage several hundred thousand acres, just imagine how much fence you would need. Fencing is generally done bit by bit as properties can afford it, because it's not the only thing they need to do. They need to grade and maintain roads, um, put in water points, build cattle yards, pay their staff, you know, there's lots of other expenses on the properties. Some people can't access their properties at the times of the year they would need to put in and pull out their bulls due to the wet season and and flooding. So it's all well and good if you can put your bulls in at the start of the wet, but come, you know, eight to 12 weeks later when you want to pull them out, you might not actually be able to physically access them. And then some people have feral cattle on their property or a neighboring country, whether it be the neighbors, national park or crown land. So even if they did pull out their own bulls, there's a good chance the feral bulls would mate with their cattle. So what do you do? Give the feral bulls a free run at your ladies? Or leave your good bulls in there so at least you have a chance of getting better quality calves? And those are just a couple of the reasons why some people don't control mate. Um, while it is, you know, I think it's something that everybody is aiming towards, it's not something you can just snap your fingers and do overnight. So for the most part, many stations have year-round mating i.e. the bulls get to party with the cows all year round. As such, cows can get pregnant at any time throughout the year and calve any time of the year, including out of season, when the available nutrition is really poor. What happens when a cow has a calf out of season? To cut a long story short, the calf starts to suck the life out of her. It sounds dramatic, I know, and clearly you've been listening to me for this long, so you know I can be a bit dramatic. But the consequences can actually be quite dramatic on herd productivity and profitability. The cow simply cannot access sufficient energy from the pasture to be able to meet her energy demands to raise that calf. Like most human mums, cows tend to look after everyone else first, even when it's to their own detriment. A cow will put all their energy into producing milk for their calf or weaner at the expense of her own condition. So instead of looking up, using her energy to look after herself, she'll start to lose weight. When a cow loses body condition, her chances of getting back in calf are significantly reduced, let alone her chances of getting back in calf within that tight time frame to have a calf each year. Plus, when they have a calf out of season, the whole reproductive timeline gets out of sync, and thus the cycle of poor reproductive performance begins and money starts walking out the front gate. So, just think about it. If you want a calf every year, basically, once the cow has had has birthed calf number one, she needs to have good enough nutrition to have energy to A, stay alive, B, produce milk for calf number one, and C, start cycling again so she can fall pregnant with calf number two, while still raising calf number one. 
yeah, we'll just take a moment to let that sink in because that's something I have to draw out each time I think about it and and call them calf number one and calf number two because even though I've studied this a lot, it's straight over my head sometimes. So to have a calf, to have one calf every 365 days, a cow needs to fall pregnant within four months of calving also known as P4M in the cash cow report. And if you haven't come across the cash cow report, I highly recommend you go and Google it. It was this amazing study done across Northern Australia with I think close to 80,000 head of cattle um, studying fertility and the things that affect reproductive performance in Northern herds um, and the productivity and profitability of those herds. And there was some really good data that came out of that. So what are our options? Well, the first option would be to prevent heifers and cows from lactating in the dry season by control mating them. You know, if you can control mate them, you can control when they calve, which is ideally at the time of best nutrition, which sets them up to be able to have that next calf. But if that's not an option, which it isn't for many people yet, our second option is to manage heifers and cows which are lactating in the dry season. That is the ones that calved out of season. So if controlled mating isn't an option, then the best bet is to actively manage the cows you know which are going to carve outside of that peak nutritional availability. Segregation, providing specialised care for mums-to-be. Segregation is the act of setting different things apart for management purposes, i.e. drafting cows into separate groups so you can manage them differently. As I mentioned before, when cattle are mated all year round, they can carve all year round. The cows that calve outside the peak available nutrition are what we consider high maintenance. We all know someone who's a little high maintenance, am I right? These are the cows that are prime targets for losing body condition because they just won't be able to consume enough feed to meet their energy demands as they give birth and raise their calf. Now these ladies who calve at the right time, they're as low-key as can be. No worries. They're like that friend that drinks the tap water and definitely believes in the 10-second rule when the food has just been dropped on the floor. They're just cruisy as. These out-of-season carvers, on the other hand, they're more like your friends who demand refrigerated, filtered, bottled water. Hashtag high maintenance. So, and remembering that this is a very brief and crude overview of the topic, the gist of it is, is that we can segregate breeders by time of carving and target supplement the high maintenance groups. The ladies who are going to carve out a season need a helping hand, a little extra TLC. To be able to segregate cattle by time of calving though, we need to know if A, they are pregnant, and B, when they are expected to calve. And this knowledge can only be found through pregnancy testing. There's a few different options for this, including manual palpation, which is getting elbow deep in a cow's backside, and ultrasound. And before I go on, I should mention that one option is that you could just not segregate your cattle and provide supplement to all of them. But providing supplement to cows who don't need it is just a waste of money, as any pastoralist will tell you. And any profit that is made in this industry comes from your margins. So ain't nobody got time for that. Body condition score. Judging a cow by her fat cover. The body condition score of the cow at calving is the single most important factor affecting her ability to get back in calf after calving. A breeder needs to be in a body condition score of 3 or better on a scale of 1 to 5 at calving in order to have the best possible chance of conceiving again within that 85-day period. It's about setting the cow up for what's to come. 
After calving, she's going to be working hard to feed her calf and likely to drop a bit of weight. The better condition she starts off in, the better she'll end up in. To give cows the best chance of maintaining their body condition, we need to set them up to calve at the right time of year. For those rebels who are going to calve out a season, a dry season supplement can give them a helping hand. Early waning. Give a girl a break. When a cow calves out of season, she's already got an uphill battle ahead of her. She has to try and raise a calf to weaning at a time when there's bugger all nutrition around. If left to do this, there's bugger all chance she's going to start cycling and reconceive again in that time frame that you want. Early weaning, removing the calf at a young age, gives these girls a reprieve from the energy demands of raising a calf out of season. It's commonly confused as being a practice to help get a cow back in calf with the next calf, but it's actually to help her get back in calf with the calf after that. Wait, what? Okay, let me work this out. When you wean calf number one, the cow should already be pregnant with calf number two. Remember, we want cows with a calf at foot and one on the way if they're going to have a calf each year. Cue the um, Loretta Lynn song, One on the Way here. I was going to cut a little bit of it out and put it in this episode, but I wasn't sure what the copyright laws would be there and if we'd get in trouble. So maybe just go and listen to that song afterwards. Loretta Lynn, One on the Way. All right. So early weaning, by early weaning calf number one, that helps to keep the cow in good condition going into birthing out calf number two, which sets her up for the best chance of conceiving calf number three. It's a long game and you may not see some of the benefits from the decisions you make until two to three years down the track. Phosphorus, not just for your paddocks. Northern Australia is severely phosphorus deficient, said every person ever. But it's true and it can have a massive impact on breeders. Phosphorus is one of the top three limiting nutrients, right after energy and protein. So even if a cow has sufficient levels of every other nutrient, if she ain't got enough phosphorus, no deal. Phosphorus affects feed intake. If a cow doesn't have enough phosphorus, her feed intake will be restricted. I know what you're thinking, and I've thought it too. How can I make myself phosphorus deficient so I stop snacking every five minutes? If anybody figures out... (laughs) The answer to that, please let me know. Anyway, back to the cows. Now, pastures become deficient in phosphorus during the wet season, the time when the time of year when the grass is lush and green, full of protein and energy, and people could be forgiven for thinking that their cattle don't need to be supplemented. What can happen though is that there's all this gorgeous feed around, but the cows aren't able to eat as much as they should. The mob out of the Northern Territory Department of Primary Industries and Resources, DPIR, have done some wild research into this in the past few years, and there are massive gains to be made from supplementing with phosphorus. But before you pick up the phone and start ordering bulk bags of it, there's also other research and economic modelling that shows it's only cost-effective for your mob if they are acutely deficient, not moderately deficient. So it's a decision that requires a bit of thought and a few conversations with your consultant or local extension officer. And if you head to the Future Beef website, you can actually find all that research from the Northern Territory. So I'm going to stop now because this is a very, very brief introduction to the reproductive challenges faced by the cattle and cattlemen alike in Northern Australia. If you do want to learn more, if you are interested, head to futurebeef.com.au. If you haven't come across Future Beef before, 
well, you're welcome because it's going to make your day. It is like the mecca of anything to do with research and extension in northern Australia in in the beef industry. So if you go in there and type in phosphorus, you will find all the research that has come out from Northern Australia and particularly the stuff in the last few years that's come out of the Northern Territory. I'm pretty sure I read an article the other day that in one of their studies, they had a 300% return on investment. Is that not amazing? Um, Another thing you can do is enroll in an MLA Breeding Edge course, which is a three-day course that goes through everything from reproduction to um, different reproductive systems or breeding systems um, and bull buying and using EBVs. I did that course recently and it was really great. Um, They have them all around the country. So head to mla.com.au and you can find out more about that. And also on the MLA website, there are these two booklets, which are super handy and highly recommend getting a hard copy of each of them. They're free from MLA and leaving them on the smoko table. Um, And they just explain everything really well. And they're really good reference books. So even though, and you know, and this, just in case anybody was confused, this wasn't an episode to teach producers about cattle reproduction. This was more explaining the video to everyone else and what all those words meant if they weren't familiar with it. So not trying to tell anybody how to suck eggs, but these booklets are, a really good handy guide. Um, One is called Managing the Breeder Herd, Practical Steps to Breeding Livestock in Northern Australia. And the other is called Heifer Management in Northern Beef Herds. And so, yeah, it's just a really handy reference book to have around. So that's where you can go if you want to find some more information. And before we finish up, now I've explained what all those bits in the video mean. So segregation, early weaning, um, pregnancy testing, supplementation, all that sort of stuff. Why did we make the video? Well, isn't that the million dollar question? And the short answer is, is that I have way too much time on my hands and I'm a massive nerd. So last year I was in Charters Towers with another scientist and we're driving out to one of the research stations and I was talking about a different parody song or, you know, sort of a project like that, that I'd been working on. Um, And I suppose you'd call it a parody song, although I haven't written it to be funny. It's just a regular song, but the lyrics are taken from, you know, it's worked on someone else's song. It's a Brad Paisley song. Definitely keep your ears out for that one because it is really, really good. Um, Anyway, so we were talking about that and I think the guy I was with, he'd um, made a couple of short parodies, you know, just the odd chorus here and there and we're talking about it. And then the song Breeding, oh, sorry, no, not Breeding, the song Breathing, by Ariana Grande came on shuffle and you know the chorus is just keep breathing and breathing and breathing and I'm not going to sing that for you because that's not going to help anyone um but so it didn't really take too much you know brain power to make the leap from just keep breathing and breathing to just keep breeding and breeding it was pretty easy so after that though um I started trying to work on the first chorus or not the first chorus the first verse and played around with it a bit that day. And then I worked on the lyrics a bit more in December um, and sent it around to a few different people to make sure I, I was technically correct because um, you wouldn't want to be singing a song and have the facts wrong because that would be awkward. And then the musician who recorded the other song for me, the Brad Paisley rewrite that I'd done, um, I asked her, I was like, hey, how would you feel about recording a parody? And even though she's a serious musician um, and – 
it was a big favor for her to record that Brad Paisley song for me. She very graciously accepted um, my request to help us out with this song. And I'm so glad she did because, guys, what an amazing singer. Like, how good does she sound? Especially when she's saying things like, you take my wiener away and um, I need a body score of three. And then that part of the song where she's like, preg, preg test. Like, I wasn't there when she was doing it because she's based in New South Wales. But I just, I mean, how do you sing that and keep a straight face? So her name is Sarah Lee and she's an amazing country music artist. You should go and find her on Facebook and Instagram. Um, on well, on Facebook, it's Sarah Leet. So that's L-E-E-T-E. And on Instagram, you can find her at Sarah Leet Music. And she actually has her own podcast called Miss Independent. So you can find that on Instagram at Miss Independent Co. And it's a podcast for independent musicians, um, focusing mainly on country musicians. But it's really cool. Like She's got a lot of hustle and an amazing voice. And she's a really cool person. Um, even if she did sing the song that gets stuck in your head, don't blame her, blame me because I wrote the lyrics anyway. So came up with the idea for the song and then I was like, well, we've got to start recording it. So I, the people in the video are from different cattle stations in the Kimberley and Pilbara from as far South as Newman, which is in sort of the central well, East Pilbara technically, and then all the way up to Kununurra, some of that footage is. So it covers about two to two and a half thousand kilometers, which is why it took me so long to get all the footage and pull it together because I filmed all of that except one scene myself. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun and I was really surprised that people agreed to be in the video. <laughs> I don't know, maybe people felt too bad to say no, but um, yeah, it's just a bit of fun and you know, sometimes learning about these things can be really boring and really technical and really hard to understand and quite dry and why not just have a bit of fun with something? And as we say in the video, it's not for everyone. We're not, this wasn't a video to tell everyone to start early weaning and segregating and whatnot. It was just a girl with too much time on her hands and an overactive imagination. So there you have it. Um, like I said before, keep your ears out for when we do our Brad Paisley song. It is actually really good. Um, I won't tell you which one it is. I'll see if you can guess. But uh, yeah, that's the story. Oh, and I probably really shouldn't finish this without thanking every single person who helped out on this project. So Jared Muller and Trish Cowley were my lyric consultants to make sure that I had all the facts right. And Trudy Oxley also verified that I wasn't making any terrible mistakes in the song. Uh, of course, Sarah Leach for recording the song, um, filming the song Oh, sorry, filming the video. Most of it was me, but there was a little bit filmed by Ben Mills from Mandora Station and Weldon Percy of Fortescue Helicopters. Don't know how he's going to feel about me naming him there, but he filmed one of those scenes. And then the people in the video. So starting out, we've got Caitlin Mills from Mandora Station. And you'll see in one of the other scenes, there's a few of us. And so there's Caitlin Mills, Katie O'Donoghue and Kelly Mills. So they're all on Mandora Station. And then we've got Barb, James and Stewie Camp from Calyeda Station. And in another scene, we've got Camille and Hannah Camp from Calyeda Station. And then there's Matt and Connie Wood with Baby Harry from Bliner Station. And Mon and Troy Hazlitt with Baby Marley from Meter Station. Um, Brenna Beck, who was on Booker Station. Lisa, um, 
who's Weldon's wife from Fortescue Helicopters. She was at the very beginning when we had the pregnant lady and the lady with a baby. Lisa was our out-of-season carver. So that's something I've come out of this project with is I've noticed a lot of my friends are having their first babies out of season and it's actually a lot of fun to give their husbands a bit of um a bit of a stir up by telling them that they had one job and they couldn't get their first baby timed right. And then we also had Nick and Jess Kell from Balfour Downs and oh gosh, have I missed anybody out? Oh, Cam and Courtney Walker, um, or Cam Brooks and Courtney Walker and baby George from Limestone Station. And I think that's it. Oh, hang on. I forgot Mrs. Boss, who's Helen and her daughter Joe from Anaplane Station. So I think that's everybody now. Thanks again. There are currently over 1,100 compelling true stories on centralstation.net.au, which will open your eyes to what life in the outback is really like and why many wouldn't live anywhere else. There are yarns from station managers, ringers, cooks, govies, pilots, vets and more, told with humour, self-deprecation and pride in a job well done. There are tales of working in stock camps, mustering cattle and how education and socialisation works in some of the most remote parts of Australia. There's stories about the wonder of living in an amazing landscape, but also the perils that come with flood, fire and drought. And there's stories about the inherent danger of living in isolation, including times when the flying doctor has come to the rescue. These stories paint a vivid picture of outback life, the good, the bad and the dusty.